This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Beyond Zero is a not-for-profit research and education organisation. We design blueprints for a zero-emissions economy. As climate change becomes more apparent, leaders will use these well-researched plans that show a transition is possible from a 19th-century fossil fuel-based economy with its climate-changing emissions to a zero-emissions 21st century. Check out our website for reports on zero emissions energy, zero emissions buildings and zero emissions high-speed rail. Podcasts of our talks with a who's who of climate change action are all available at Beyond Zero Emissions. If you have some ideas for this show, contact us at radioteam at beyondzeroemissions.org. Good evening, everybody. This broadcast is called Lest We Forget. I wanted to remind listeners of this historic drama being played out in such country towns as Bolga, Morwell and the nearly extinct Wallar. Tonight we're visiting one of the biggest open-cut mines in New South Wales at Mount Arthur. I talked to retired miner Peter Kennedy, who was guiding a tour of city people from Sydney and Newcastle around the power station and the coal mines of the Hunter Valley. He can see that the mine workers are going to have to rely on themselves to find new jobs as some of the mines go into mothballs and he shows real leadership, getting city people to lobby for a swift transition out of fossil fuels. Later we'll talk to Lorraine Bull from Morwell about the future for Latrobe Valley workers and also Tom Doig who wrote that book, The Coalface. As one of our heroes, Ian Dunlop the former chair of the Australian Coal Association who changed his mind because he could see the conditions of climate change have changed the situation. He said, the irreversible, positive feedback tipping points of climate change, which have long concerned scientists, are being triggered at today's warming of just one degree centigrade. This can be seen in the Arctic and the Antarctic. New leadership prepared to grasp and act on this reality is essential. So tonight I'm bringing you some of those leaders. One bit of good news came from the Baird government in New South Wales this week. It's just bought back BHP Billiton's Karuna coal mine. So one part of the rich black soils of the Liverpool Plains will be protected for farming. I remember visiting the blockade at Karuna towns years ago they were very distinguished looking people camped out around the clock and blockading their own gates with big logs you know and a campfire but very distinguished they looked like they'd be happy in the the boardroom really those people and they were blocking their gates against BHB Billiton last year we interviewed Tim Duddy and Tony Windsor plus some of the young women farmers who have kept up a spirited campaign for years the other big threat is the Shenhua watermark mine in this area and the New South Wales government is now in negotiations with them. It's a Chinese mining giant and the New South Wales government is prepared to buy back the licence to mine coal there because it's 
farmland. So a big shout out for the people powered victory. They had forums in the city. They invited city people for bush dancers back up there in the Liverpool Plains and weekends on the farm. They Facebooked and lobbied. And the energy came from people protecting their food bowl. I don't think they'd all be that comfortable with calling it climate action. But the climate activists from the city supported them. And I hope listeners will realise that we have to make these sorts of partnerships to stop all new coal and gas projects in this country. This includes mine expansions, as we'll hear from the town of Bulga later in this program. So now let's go to Peter Kennedy at the Mount Arthur Mine in New South Wales. This story takes us to the coal country of New South Wales. Emma Giles and Peter Kennedy are fossil fuel frontline campaigners and they are taking a group to the Hunter Valley as part of the Fossil Free AGL campaign. Hello, Emma. Hello, Vivian. I know you're out in a windswept place there, but can you tell us what you've seen today? Sure, yeah. So I've come out to the Hunter Valley today with a bus full of uh, city people from Sydney and Newcastle. We've um, been right along the highway that cuts through about eight mines um, past Bayswater and Liddell Power Stations and we've had a closer look at, at those mines and the, the extraction of coal out of the, out of the Hunter Valley region and a close look at the coal power stations as well. And where are you right now? Right now we're um, sitting up on a hill looking over Mount Arthur Mine. Mount Arthur Mine is the largest open cut coal mine in New South Wales and one of the biggest in Australia. Well look, Melbourne listeners know AGL's Loy Yang power station. I know your focus is on AGL so we know that one in Melbourne that's in the Lutra Valley and one in five of Melbourne people get their power from AGL. So why do you call AGL the biggest polluting business in Australia and why are you trying to expose them? AGL are the biggest climate polluter in Australia, they own three of the eight dirtiest coal-fired power stations in Australia. They are often um, spoken of as being clean and green, and they are the largest owner of renewables. Um, 80% of their power is produced from coal power, and it's just not good enough. It's time that we start to phase out dirty old coal power and phase in renewables. How are you going to keep in touch with these people to mobilise more people for climate action against this company that has seemingly no intention of phasing out their coal-fired power. This tour today, bringing people out to the Hunter Valley to see this firsthand, is, is the first one of what we hope will be many tours. The people here have just been blown away with what they're seeing. You know, you, you, you sit in, in the cities and you know that it's really, really bad, but once you come out here and you see firsthand just how devastating it is for the landscape it really really hits at the heartstrings so we're going to be asking all of the people here to go home and, and share their stories with people in their communities we're also asking people to collect signatures so we'll be doing petitions that we will be taking to AGL to tell AGL that that, that consumers want to see them shift into renewables and that they want to know the truth about what is where their power is coming from and no more greenwash. Our demand at the AGM at the AGL AGM this year is that by their next AGM they present a full 
closure strategy, including a fair transition for workers and land rehabilitation of their power stations, Liddell um, and Bay Quarter. We need, to, we need to start seeing a transition plan planned well ahead so that we can have a smooth transition for workers and the communities All right. and start retraining people into new technologies. Okay, well, look, thank you, Emma. That was Emma Giles. She's part of the group of people going out to the Hunter Valley today and they're looking at the coal-fired power stations and the coal mines of the Hunter Valley. Their target is AGL because AGL is a company that is continuing to invest in fossil fuels despite its clean green image. You look on their website and you see uh, wind turbines and uh, solar panels, but really they have continued to invest in gas and continue to invest in coal. And there's no plan in the short term to phase out these Uh, fossil-fueled power stations, which are lucrative for them and yet toxic for us. And so the 350.org campaign called um, Fossil Free AGL is going to to the AGM and they're going to propose to the company there this September that they give them 10 years at the next AGM. They should come up with a plan of phasing out this fossil fuel involvement. So now we're going to hear from Peter Kennedy and uh, some of the people on the tour. Peter, um, uh, could you just tell us a bit about who you are and how uh, the reason you've decided to guide this tour around the coal mines and the power stations in the Hunter Valley? Well, yes, uh Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Uh, Peter Kennedy's my name. I'm a local resident in Musselbrook. I have been up until just recently a coal miner at the uh, Mount Arthur open cut mine just here in Musselbrook, one of the biggest open cut mines in New South Wales. I've been doing these uh, these tours for some time now, and, and I'm doing my best to get the message out about the misnomers that are going around about the, the coal industry and what it's doing for communities. I understand that, yes, there is uh, employment, but uh, it's the wrong jobs uh, for me. Um, I believe in uh, we should be looking more, instead of spending a lot of money on fossil fuel development, we should be looking at developing more and more, getting into solar power, renewable energy, and, uh, yeah, I'm just doing my best to get the message out there to see what... Um, what I can do to help the cause. Well, I'm really delighted to speak to you because I went on one of your tours and I'd just like to tell the listeners that you are at the moment at Mount Arthur Mine taking the visitors there and I went with one of your tours and saw that Mount Arthur Mine and it really changed my life and I've ended up doing this radio broadcasting every Monday I put out a you know climate action program partly because of what I saw there and I, I, I had never known about that living in Sydney. I'd never seen this great grand canyon of coal out there and I didn't know the suffering of the people and of course I've informed myself over the years but it was because you sort of bravely took people in there while you were still working in the industry so it was definitely <laughs> authentic coming from you um, yeah. and so I'd like to thank you because it's set me off on being quite motivated and I hope some of the people with you today will be motivated to in whatever way they can stand up against this thing because there's a lot of um, misinformation and myths and that is right yes yeah. actually I've got just looking I'm looking at uh, Bill Ryan at the moment there's 25 other people here and uh, where we're actually standing is on Constable's Hill overlooking the Mount Arthur Mine yeah 
and uh, it's uh, it's growing and growing every day. A lot of people don't understand the subsidies these places get. For example, as the rebates for the diesel fuel that they use, yep. a lot of people don't. For every litre of fuel that's burnt, taxpayers of Australia put their hand in their pocket and give mining companies such as BHP and Rio Tinto and all these others are in coal. They give them back 32.623 cents for every litre that's burnt. Yeah. And I know for a fact that Mount Arthur a couple of years ago were, were pulling in out of the taxpayers' purse in a, well in excess of $80 million a year. $80 million coming back in for their diesel fuel rebate. And I'm absolutely... That is a shameful thing when the fossil fuel, the black coal industry in Australia is turning over billions. Yeah. Well, billions we, of dollars. We know that they're on the downturn. I mean, all the economists are saying they're on the downturn. Would they survive without the subsidies? I doubt it very much. Right. I doubt it very much. That's only my opinion, but yep. uh, I don't think I don't think they get anywhere near it. Okay. All right. Well, look, that's an open cut mine. You've also seen the power stations. Could you tell us a little bit about the connection with climate change? You know, and and the perception about that, and the transition of workers. Because I think a lot of people are working there because they can make some money, but they'd very much like to get out of it. I do believe that's that's a good that's a very good point. Yeah, no, um, we've uh, we've seen Bayswater and Liddell power stations today from a distance. Uh, the security of these places there just won't allow people like me anywhere near it. So yeah, I'd like to see. Um, uh, well, again, uh, the, the, all the uh, subsidies that uh, the power industry is getting as well, I'd, if they were removed, uh, it would make uh, coal-fired power station, it, would not, it just wouldn't survive. Mm. So I'd, I'd like to see that happen. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, these people today um, have certainly uh, they've opened their, had their eyes opened as to uh, all this nonsense that's going on about the, um, the future for, for coal. I, I can't see it as being as buoyed as it has been in the past. I think it's pretty bleak. And unfortunately, the, the people that are in there, they're the ones that are going to suffer. They're going to lose their jobs, and uh, and and uh, we'll just have to see what happens after that. That's right. I've tried to do programs on transition for the workers with all different people that I could find, and I haven't found anyone who's got a convincing plan. So I, I think it's up to, again to the creativity of the people to work out an alternative you know, diversified economy for places like Latrobe Valley and Hunter Valley. That's right. Well, as a matter of fact, uh, the Drayton Open Cut Mine, which is just on the outskirts of Musselbrook here, uh, it's just about, I, I think it's got six weeks to run and it will be finally closed. So I, I can't see a, as much of a future for the black coal industry, particularly here in the Hunter Valley and likewise in the Latrobe Valley. Yeah. I think it's uh, dark days ahead for those people and I'd suggest to your listeners that um, if they uh, if they are working in this area, that um, try and find uh, an alternative means of of, uh, of of employment somewhere. Mostly, yeah, get out and find uh, find a job in renewable somewhere because that's yeah. the future. That's right. Well, another issue is rehabilitation. Now, when I was up there, I remember you pointing out to this vast Grand Canyon and saying, "Oh, it'll never work." The rehabilitation that they've even tried so far. 
is just with some sort of grasses. It's not really the full. You can't restore a landscape like that. No. And uh, there's been a lot of talking now. People are starting to realise that these mining companies will pull out and they'll not the, the money that they had put down initially as a bond will not be anything near the, co- the cost of rehabilitation. Well, what are your thoughts about rehabilitation? You must well, it's an essential part of the uh, of the mining. The, 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 the government should be uh, making sure that people like BHP, Rio Tinto, Anglo, when they uh, when they do decide when they're getting into the wind down stage, that there is money available to uh, adequately and properly re- rehabilitate the mine sites. Yeah. Well, what what's the best you've ever seen? Is there actually, is it possible to revegetate or you know fill, it is, filling it, is. it in uh, or using it for something else? Well, it is. Uh, I think it, it, it's certainly possible, and it should be made possible because um, uh, I, I have seen some sites that have been uh, really nicely uh, rehabilitated. It is possible, but. Unfortunately, when we have um, governments that are in the pockets of the mining companies and all the resource companies that won't stand up and make these people do as they should do, uh, we're just going to see more and more of it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's the next big push about the rehabilitation, and there should be jobs in that as well. Well, as I mentioned to you, uh, the the Drayton mine that's uh, eminently closing there, there is um, work doing rehabilitation in that mine for 30 people, uh, over a two-year period, so I'll be closely watching that just yeah. to see how that does develop. What do they do? Do they have to fill in the pit, or how do they do it? Well, there will be some some dirt go back down and, and backfill the void, but you'll probably find that most of the uh, the overburdened dumps will be just levelled over and uh, re-topsoiled, re-grassed, and uh, there'll be... Um, native vegetation replanted. The, some of the, uh, the orders that are given by the consent conditions by the, uh, the, the government for the rehab, it says that it has to be at least 30% wooded vegetation. So we've just got to wait and see what they do with that. Okay, and what happens to the, the pit, or you said the void? Does that the just fill up with water? What is Eventually, yes. Toxic, toxic water. And, uh, yeah, so that's... I, I personally think, well, like with, with the Drayton mine... Uh, they've got a they've got a big drag line there. Well, I say, well, why don't they put uh, put it to work and and backfill the hole with the drag line? It gives people work, and uh, uh, when the, the finished product will be a hell of a lot better. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, really, thank you very much for talking to us today, Peter. You're you're really an expert on this, and I'm really pleased that we can bring your voice to the Melbourne audience. Thanks very much. If, is there someone else there who'd like to comment on what they've seen today? Uh, I'll just pass you back to right. um, to Emma here, and uh, we'll I'll see what she thinks. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank, thank you, Viv, and, and thank you to your listeners. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Uh, we just might go over now to someone Hi. who's uh, on the tour. Is there someone else who'd like to tell us what they've seen today? Hello. Yes, Hi. I'm one of the I'm one, I'm one of Hi. the one of the mob that have been up here. Oh, great. Are you impressed by the size of the Mount Arthur mine? <laughs> I'm overwhelmed by it. Yes, it is. It, it's just phenomenal. Uh-huh. Um, well, the, the main thing is, uh, for me has been, you know, um, we we need our electricity, and yes, the mines have been here for a long time, and that's all we've had in the past. But um, what I've found out is not only how badly they've been behaving towards the environment and how dishonest they've been and what they've done to the local dairy farmer that we talked to, 
you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that's been that's been really quite shocking. And the fact that um, that they're still digging up coal. Well, we don't need to, and we shouldn't be. No. Um, this is the thing. I mean, this is okay as long as we had to have it and we didn't have anything else. And, yeah, I, you know, I'm not against electricity um, or even necessarily against coal in the past, but not anymore. No. And to be hearing that they're planning another one that's really as big as, as Mount Arthur uh, and that it's going to be in the hands of Indonesians and that there's more coal mines being opened up is just... Uh, it's it's just mind-blowingly bad. Yes. Or um, tell, tell us about the local people you've met. You said you mentioned a dairy farmer. We met, met a wonderful, residents? wonderful dairy farmer woman. She's she's from, well, must be in her seventies, I think. But she's absolutely fantastic. She's been fighting off the local the local mine, but we've been trying to buy up her land. Yeah. Again and again and again, and she's had you know. TACs one and two. One she's won, the next one she's lost. So the government hasn't hasn't helped at all. They've given the permission to the mines to keep taking over the land. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful um, dairy cattle land. Um, and of course, the water. She's aware of how the um, the water table is is is. Uh, well, the water itself from the creeks is. Um, polluted badly and going into the hunter and um, she's she's the one who said to the Pocobin people the uh, winery you know you, your your water's being despoiled yeah. and they said no 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 we get it from the hunter and she said yeah but you know it comes from our creek into the hunter yeah. oh uh-huh. and they're building mines right up to the she's explained how they built mines right up to the edge of the escarpments and, and, and to the roads and you know, just how that's going to just keep interfering with with uh, with the creeks and yes. absolutely despoiling the whole area and causing massive damage. And they and she's got to fight it with a handful of local local farmers, yeah. basically, and having to become really cluey about what's going on. That's right. There's some absolute heroes out there doing this work, and I, I think that thing about the water all being connected, and we think, oh, we can get the water and it'll be pure, but it's all connected, and artesian water's all connected. And now this is a connection between city people and country people that I love to hear about, and you're one of them. You know, you've gone out on a bus tour and you've connected with those people. That, I hope, gives those local people who it's so tough for them, I hope that gives them a bit of courage. But also I'm sure you'll go back to the city and uh, probably continue taking some sort of action. Absolutely. I've been challenging the, the organisers and saying, OK, what do you do with middle-class city people like yeah. me of a certain, you know, the yes. entire demographic? Oh. What are we going to do? What can we do? <laughs> because there's a whole lot of us. No, most of us that are volunteers now, are, yes. are, you know, are older people. I know. Got the time and the energy. And uh, so, yes, I've said, tell me what we can do next. Wonderful. Um, and that's, I think, what the whole purpose probably is. And there's a lot in the, a lot, lot in the group of, that have been um, in, in every kind of action that's been yes. happening yeah. anyway. But, yeah, we'll take it from there. Thank you very much for talking to us. It's wonderful okay. to hear. Thank you very okay, much. Good. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye. So you're listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions show and tonight we're going to the country areas where mining is the big deal and it's called Lest We Forget. Now the next item is in an art gallery in Sydney and artist David Watson introduces us to an exhibition called While We Sleep and it's about the coal mining communities. And sometimes artists can get through our defences, I think, and they have 
real warriors among them in defense of nature, in defense of our future, and really in defense of the small towns in the coal regions which were once so vibrant and are holding out against the mines which are expanding even now at the end of the coal era. So David Watson. Uh, Tonight we're going to an art gallery to catch up with David Watson. His Williams River Artists Group have been chronicling the age of the end of coal for a long time with all its pain. Small communities like Wallah have been made ghost towns as the coal company giants dig up their land and even though they're going bankrupt, they still keep digging. David, are we here just to soothe the dying pillow of these brave little communities in the coal-rich regions or are there some green shoots Look, I hope there are some green shoots, Vivian. Um, As uh, we've been discussing uh, with Richard Dunn, who actually brought this college to Roselle uh, 21 years ago, there are a lot of endangered sites at the moment. And art colleges are now, in Sydney, joining those of the uh, New South Wales regional uh, uh, towns that are being threatened by coal. So, ironically... This is a perfect place for us to be doing an exhibition about threatened species. And um, the exhibition you speak about, the Williams River Valley Artist Project show, which is called While We Sleep, very consciously, because I think a lot of things are going on while we sleep. We're not being encouraged to notice them. Towns are being wiped off the map. Art colleges are being dismembered. There's a lot of really precious things that this government is overseeing the demise of. Well, the person you introduced me to mentioned the word philistinism, philistinism, and the images around me are of coal wagons just inexorably going off to infinity across the screen, and the artist who put that one up was signalling us the message while we sleep. What do you think the philistines are up to while we sleep? Nolene Lucas has done that rather lovely video, which is on a high level, with video of um, coal trains disappearing to the left and to the right continuously. And that really came from a visit we made to the tiny uh, town of Wallah, 50k north of uh, northwest of Mudgee, a couple of months ago. We spoke to a number of the townsfolk there, and we were completely unaware that this town is being slowly erased. I think there are 15 people left living there from a a phone book which once boasted 150 people. Uh, And it's tragic. And that's why we've titled our little installation, While We Sleep, because all this stuff is going on unbeknowns to the good people of New South Wales. And I'm sure the coal companies are very happy about that. As for our listeners, the uh, carbon emissions of that exported coal is going on while we sleep. You know, we just don't connect that. But, uh, you know, David, I really love your work, the work of this group of people, the uh, Williams River artists, because you celebrate the people who lock on, for example, in your postage stamp series, who protest, who advocate a different way of doing things. Um, These images of locking on, protesting, 
even the images of the town of Walla locked up. You know, the person who took that photo is saying to us, this shouldn't happen. This town that was vibrant, that had a bush dancing, you know, a dance you know, every Saturday night uh, is now empty. This shouldn't happen. The photo stares at you and says this shouldn't happen. And it's not reported. This is what is really uh, disturbing because of course many of the people who are bought out uh, have to sign, as we know, confidentiality agreements and you know, even if they've been best friends with a neighbour for 40 years, they can't even discuss the dealings, the corporate bastardry that is going on in these tiny towns. So there's a lot of animosity, a lot of hatred, a lot of um, bad feeling that is being brought to bear on these tiny towns which were once thriving and functioning at least small, often fly spots on the New South Wales map, but places where people led meaningful, happy lives. And now we've got these ghost towns. And Wallar is um, probably the most recent on a long list. Places like Camberwell in, in the Hunter, Hunter Valley. But Wallar is now really decimated. And we, we spoke with many of the people. They went to the community meeting. And it was heartbreaking to hear that people have to put up with 24-7 train noise. I mean, Nolene's piece, which we spoke about a minute ago, is about trains. And coal trains are wreaking havoc with people's lives. They can't sleep. You know, what sort of justice is that? That people can't sleep in their own towns, which have chosen to live in a quiet country environment. And suddenly... <laughs> they're sleep deprived because there's cranking and you know smashing from uh, coal trains 24 hours a day. It's it's inhuman. But you know, to come back more on the political level, some people say to me, "Look, no one is doing anything." And I don't think you're chronicling that. You're chronicling what people are doing. We are chronicling what people are doing, but we're also, I think sadly chronicling some of the despair which is out there which is not being reported because it's not a story you know the media is not interested in people's lives being wrecked by billion dollar coal companies but surely at a time when we all know and agree that um, global warming is perhaps our greatest foe to continue in this uh, this vein has to be insane one of the works of art, just for you listeners, it looks like sort of um, drums, you know, like drums with toxic stuff in them, elevated a bit up to about, you know, five foot high. And David said to me that they're prayer wheels. Well, we've all seen those Tibetan prayer wheels, and indeed people were going around the art gallery turning them, giving them a little spin. But right down at the floor level, at the level of the absolute floorboards, there was a, a kind of a, a message coming across, electronic message coming across saying, may the earth continue to live, may the wet forest continue to grow, may the rains continue to dampen the land, then the flowers shall bloom and we people shall live again. Now that's a prayer. There's something in that. David, tell us about that one. It's a work by Suzanne Bartos, who is one of our group of eight artists. Um, and they are prayer wheels and they feature 44-gallon oil drums on stands which you can spin. So, of course, that's another fossil fuel in which we all uh, participate, often on a daily basis. Um, so it's a reminder of what damage our, uh, our, our intake of um, fossil fuels is causing. But the prayers are written by a friend of Suzanne's. And, yes, it's a simple, a simple uh, statement of... Uh, 
wouldn't it be nice to continue letting rain fall on uh, country and letting it uh, thrive? Why do you think she put it just down at the ground level, like at the absolute floor level? Like there's nowhere else you could write. It's the last place you could write. Well, perhaps it brings us back to the most basic level of human existence, things which we expect to be the same each day because that's why we're all here on the planet. Well, look, earlier tonight I spoke to a young man who said, look, I think it's over. We're all going to die. And another one said, look, we've got to go nuclear, we've got to go into geoengineering, and um, we've got to bring that into play. And my reaction was to try to inspire them to take action, not to take this lying down. What would you have said to them? Well, I have a 19-year-old and a 22-year-old, and I think we've been successful in convincing both of them that it's really important to fight. And uh, to give up is really... uh, not a not an option mm. I mean things change you know 40 years ago we all smoked and now we don't mm. because we realised it was killing us and I think the same thing has to happen with fossil fuel mm. ok well look this is not apolitical art but our politicians have sidelined climate change we've just come out of an election hasn't been decided yet but radical climate action isn't on the agenda for the big parties What are your artists saying to them? You know, it is not apolitical, but it's artistic. It's sort of oblique. What is the message? Look, we're not speaking to them because they don't come to our exhibitions, to be (laughs) blunt. You know, we are mere pawns. But I have learnt from being alongside the climate activists who put their lives on the line by locking on the David Pococks and the the uh, long list of lesser-known ordinary people who are out there putting their whole spirits into a protest. They're small actions, but we realise that they are, in a sense, a little bit like artworks. They don't get seen by a lot of people, necessarily, but they're important because they build. They build slowly. And as Paul Kelly once said... From little things, big things grow. So let's hope that that's uh, potentially going to happen. Could I ask you just one last question? This is about, in this exhibition, there's another video installation, and it's about the volcano Mount Merapi in Indonesia. The overall impression, no, you don't know about it, doesn't matter, but I want you to... <laughs> I've read about it in the catalogue. But I want you to you talk, about, talk about positive. I have seen it. I'll tell you about it. Mm. It was very positive. The people were talking about how great the community was. The government was hopeless in this case, but they evacuated people, they fed them, and so on. It's very positive. Do you think our community is not leading to an art that is positive, where we're proud to be Australian for the work we do? You know, Is there something, do you think, in defeatism in our culture at the moment, where we just feel the despair, we just feel we can't do anything... Just tell me that, about defeatism, giving up, hope, that sort of thing. I can speak from a personal perspective. Um, I was saying to someone the other day, I live in a small suburban street. Um, Three years ago, we distributed our activist newsletter to all my neighbours, some of whom I knew, um, some of whom I didn't. I felt, in a sense, it was received as if I was some sort of communist, you know, pushing views which were true left-wing crazy. But you know what? Three years later, most of those people agree with me. 
so no, I'm very positive. I think things have changed incredibly in the last three years. I mean, almost every day in the press we read about coal mines with their bankrupt behaviour, um, how we don't need fossil fuel anymore. Yeah, I really am very uh, optimistic that things are slowly changing. So yes, it, we must not give up hope at all. We must protest and we must continue because I think we can change things by small actions. Thank you. That was David Watson at the While We Sleep exhibition in Roselle. Tonight we're going to Bulga in New South Wales. The people there have been keeping a vigil on the corner of Wallaby Scrub Road and Putty Road. Why? Because the international mining giant Rio Tinto have started to extend their coal mine towards Bulga. So welcome to Rob McLaughlin, who is part of the Bulga Norbradale Progress Association. Rob, um, can you tell the listeners about the vigil? Take us there. Hi, Vivian. Yes, well, uh, the vigil has been going for uh, two weeks now. It started out uh, innocently enough and and, uh, with the local paper coming out and just wanted to do a... uh, a bit of a photo shoot, and we then we realised that uh, we were inconveniencing uh, Rio Tinto's blasting schedule by being where we were. So uh, we thought, oh well, we'll, we'll um, you know uh, we'll make a habit of this. So we, we we've been fronting up every day uh, from eight o'clock to about four p.m. and 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 what what has done is uh, other than inconvenience Rio Tinto, uh, it has given us the, the people of Bolga a lot more exposure and also. It's well that our community is together even more so because we're stronger now than we've ever been. I mean, this battle's been going on for nearly seven years now. Oh. And, uh, yeah, it's been a long, it has been a long fight. And um, we won twice in the court system to this New South Wales government and with the Mike Baird's government that is um, very cosy with the uh, Minerals Council and, the, uh, uh, and Rio Tinto, the big mining companies. Mm. Uh, we, we are just an impediment to them. Right. Well, look, Saddle Ridge is the key geographical feature that I hear about every time we mention Bolga. It's between you and the mine. Tell us why it's important to preserve that area. Well, Saddle Ridge is very, very important to the local Wanarua. Great significance to them. It's very significant for uh, the people of Bulga as well because it is the last buffer zone between that land form forms a buffer zone between the Mount Thorley Walkworth mine and um, and Bulga. And once uh, the ridge goes, Saddle Ridge is taken out. That will expose Bulga to um, noise and dust and lights. Mm. Um, to, uh, to, you know, 24-7, uh, 365 days a year. Uh, the thing is, the Saddle Ridge was signed off back in 2003 by uh, the then uh, minister and um, co-signed by uh, Rio Tinto to say that that, w- that area, r- the Saddle Ridge, would be left as a non-disturbance area uh, in perpetuity. Well, it turns out that uh, that paperwork, the uh, document wasn't worth the paper it was written on, mm. so... We, we know now that this government is not trustworthy. Uh, their whole uh, assessment, uh, planning and assessment process that they have for these mines is just a sham. It's totally bogus and, um, you know, the whole thing is just a fraud, really. So um, we're not giving up. We're uh, exploring um, other legal avenues and people are coming on board all the time. I mean, yeah. we're getting supporters all the time because, I mean, it's not just about Bulga. This could be happening anywhere in Australia because... Okay. It's 
That's right. The, and the world is watching you. It could happen anywhere in the world. And, you know, this is Blockadia, as in not Naomi Klein's book. And yeah. I was in the court when the High Court rejected any extension of Rio Tinto's mine. I was so relieved, and I know all of you people were relieved. There's quite a little cohort of vulgar people who come down to the court. Can you remind us of what happened next? You know, it, the, the court said there'd be no extension of the mine to protect the ecosystem, the biodiversity, the traditional owners' uh, rights and the heritage. And then can you just remind us what happened next and why you feel that the government has crossed a line that you really are trying to defend now? I mean, the laws have changed. I mean, the, the, the fact that uh, we, we have the, the right, our right of a merits-based appeal, we cannot uh, appeal this project on its merits. All we we're, uh, can do is appeal under a uh, uh, procedural basis, So, um, you know, which we were going to do, but in the meantime, the government they put all their ducks in a row because we found that prior they, uh, they had made... Uh, mistakes in their procedures but oh, that all strangely overnight was fixed. Look, the, the whole thing is really corrupt Vivian and uh, yeah, you know, I mean they've just really rigged it to um, take take our rights away from us mm-hmm. and um, give all the, all the power to these big mining companies. Right. Well, as I said, the, this was reported around the world when that happened and I'm, I'm really hoping that it won't just take you putting your bodies on the line to um, force them to reconsider. Just tell us a bit more about the heritage. You were talking to me, I know the Wanarua traditional custodians, I've heard them in the uh, PAC hearings, you know, talking about how they want to take their children to walk that landscape that they've walked. It's not, there's nothing that could compensate them for that. But you also mentioned to me it was part of pioneering history, the Great North Road. That's correct. The uh, Great North Road was it was the largest civil project for I think about thirty or forty years in the early colony. Uh, colony. Um, mm. It was uh, it was the first road north from Sydney into the Hunter Valley, and it, it built back in the eighteen thirties by convict labour. And uh, you know, just to have. I mean, we were, we're such a young country, and then just to discard our European history like this is—we just—we just can't believe it. We just can't believe that the government say, "Oh well, you know, so what?" But, but the, the, I have to say that the local Singleton Council has voted six times unanimously to not sell the road to uh, Rio Tinto. So, um, but unfortunately, the state government can take the road uh, under the uh, under an act and. Give it to Rio Tinto uh, because this mine extension, uh, yeah, it, national it, it, interest or something. It, well, it's it, it's a state. It's classed as a state significant project, so that means that they can, yeah. As if as if we need any more coal. It's ridiculous. They're putting oh, all the crazy. other coal mines in mothballs. Absolutely, absolute madness, absolute mm-hmm. madness. So we had a great roll-up today, yeah. uh, and um, we were very encouraged by the people that came in today and voiced their support for Bolga. And also, that will be uh, we're, we're moving to um, we're having a little pop-up village in Sydney this coming Sunday. Yes, uh, Sunday the seventh uh, at eleven thirty in the Domain, um, and uh, we're having a new Bolga. It'll be, oh. and um, so yes, we're having a, an action there and so <laughs> right. we're taking we're taking our, our we can't live in in uh, in the old bulga so we're going to the new bulga <laughs> and because one of the packs found one of the planning and assessment commissions the supposedly totally independent uh, 
are bodies that um, decide whether these projects should proceed. Yes. One of the PAC, one of the PACs found that the effect on Bulga would be so great that Bulga would have to be relocated. Uh-huh. Now, now the. Uh, the government and Rio Tinto said, hey, hey, we, we better, uh, we can't really have that. So they called for another pack. And the very next pack found that, hey, there won't be any effect at all. In fact, the closer the mine comes to Bulga, the less dust and less noise it will make. Coming as it comes oh, close. Yeah, so by real. pure magic. Yeah, by so pure real. osmosis. <laughs> um, so, so these, I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. It sounds like no. something out of Monty Python. It so this, this is what's happening in New South Wales. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it would make, uh, you know, a, a leader of a banana republic somewhere <laughs> blush. But, you know, but Mike Baird, is, he's, got his, he's got his sheepish grin happening and, um, you know, so... Well, yeah, look, that, it's yeah. very gutsy what you people are doing and you're using legal and peaceful means to defend, you know, the ecosystem, the heritage around Volga, but also for people who listen to this show, the climate advocates. You know, people are worried about the coal being connected to climate change and we don't need to export any more of it or use any more of it. And I think you are on that that front line too. And I'd like. Oh, to we are abs- absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's all it's all about the climate. Yeah. And I mean, we 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 keep the our arguments local yes. for the locals. But I mean, the big picture, of course, is climate, exactly. and that's 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 why we're making our stand as well. It's, I mean, it's it's all encapsulated, uh, all, all in one, all in our battle. That's, uh, it's, it's about the climate, it's about the local issues, it's about the Wanarua. Now, during, uh, I mean, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, a Wanarua elder was brutally arrested and his sister because uh, the police asked us to move on because we were interfering with um, Rio Tinto's business of blasting the uh, Saddle Ridge. Yeah. And... Uh, Kevin Taggart, uh, an elder of the Wanarua, yes. said, no, this is my country, I love this country, I'm not moving. So he was pounced upon by seven burly policemen. Uh, he was sitting down in a chair, he was thrown to the ground, uh, and it, it was horrific, absolutely horrific. So um, you can probably Google that, Kevin Taggart's arrest, and uh, you, you'll see that his 70-year-old sister was brutally arrested uh, as well. So we were shocked, absolutely shocked yeah. at the brutality of the New South Wales police that are doing the dirty work for Rio Tinto. Okay, well look a lot of people would like to support you is there some... Well they can go to our Facebook page, it is Stand With Bulga Yes. And um, we also have uh, our web, web page is um, savebulga.org.au all the information is down there uh, as well and also um, Bulga Milverdale Progress Association has uh, also has a Facebook page. Yeah, so go to any of those and um, and, and uh, yeah, if you just Google Bulga, something will come up surely. So yeah, it uh, does. Not, yeah, I just yeah. looked, and also I noticed on your website the Rio Tinto Community Line, which is one eight hundred six five six eight. Nine two listeners, if you just want to complain to Rio Tinto, is that worthwhile? Do you think? Oh, I think so. Yeah, let's yeah complain to them because I mean that's that's the thing. We ring them with blasts and so forth, and the noise and the dust gets um, you know unbearable. And um, you know, oh no, we're, we're we're within limits. We're told that um, you know the mine is within limits, and yeah. we call the um, Environmental Protection Agency, and nothing gets done. So look, it's just an absolute. Uh, it's just a. Sh- 
sham. The whole deal is a sham, and uh, it's uh, it's like some sort of third world setup. But yep. um, yeah, it's just a joke. So we are fighting, and we've got a lot of friends uh, on board, and we thank you, you Vivian, and your listeners for your support. Well, we uh, and we're not giving up. That's right. the thing. We're not giving up. We're not going away. It's, uh, it's not about the uh, the size of the dog in the fight. It's about uh, how much fights in the dog. So there's, <laughs> right. there's plenty of fight in this little dog yet. Okay, thank you very much. So that was Robin McLaughlin, Albert Bolger. Now, we've just got time for one more interview, listeners. Tom Doig is on the phone. He's the author of the book on the Hazelwood Mine Fire. It's called The Coal Face. That mine fire engulfed the town of Morwell and burned for six months. no. Surely six weeks. Tom will tell us in a minute. I noticed on his book, uh, Christina Figueres, who was the head of the UNFCC, was so moved by this book, she said, coal miners and their families around the world need better options urgently. So hello, Tom. How are you? Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Well, look, this story at Morwell hasn't finished for you, has it? No. Look, it, it just keeps on giving unfortunately um so the mine fire yeah it was it was it burned for six and a half weeks it was 45 days um that was two and a half years ago but the the fallout both um figurative and and real continues to this day um and i've actually i'm, I'm writing a longer book uh, about the the coal mine fire disaster and it's more broader implications in the Trobe valley in victoria so i'm following this story um doggedly Yes, you're the Samuel Peeps of this story, I think, or the Norman Mailer of the story. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right, or the Joan Didion, or, or yeah. someone with um, with a lot of skin in the game now. Yeah, well, I like it because you know everybody. You seem to have your finger on the pulse. You meet everybody from the highest to the lowest, the most insignificant seemingly person, but they've all got a story. And I'd like to know, um, what do you hope? We had a Peter Kennedy earlier on the program. He's a coal miner, and he said mm-hmm. um, that my Mine workers are going to have to look after themselves. They're going to have to find their own new jobs and the writing's on the wall. They'd better get moving now. But um, I think there there may be a little bit of government help coming now into people making a transition plan for the people in the Latrobe Valley themselves making the transition plan. Tell us about that. That's right. Well, so there was some really exciting news late last week, um, which is that so Vic Health, um, the state health organisation, um, had a twenty thousand dollar prize for the um, Latrobe Valley Community Challenge, um, which is for a community group to come up with a really great sort of health outcome um, project. And Voices of the Valley, um, who are the community group in the Latrobe Valley who have been sort of uh, formed since the mine fire. Um, initially concerned with public health but now concerned with transitioning um they won this prize this twenty thousand dollar prize and they now get to, to use that money to set up a transition center in the latrobe valley um which is so exciting on so many levels not least because um voices of the valley are a volunteer group who have been running off the smell of an oily rag for years and have never seen anything like twenty thousand dollars i think i went to a meeting a couple of years ago and I had 208 dollars in the bank or something so I think it's very exciting to see what they will do with this money. Um, and, I mean, their their transition centre is going to try and look at everything from um, new renewable energy strategies that may be appropriate in the Valley in terms of setting up um, Tesla battery charging systems and other sort of decentralised 
um, distributed power networks, um, but they're sort of going to try and look at the whole gamut and um, address you know everything from air quality to the ash that's still in lots of people's roofs in the valley. Um, I'm just seeing this list on on their Voice of the Valley Facebook page, um, potentially looking at drug and alcohol cessation programs and mm. education support. So it's a very sort of wide ranging and ambitious project um, but it needs to be done and I, I sort of feel like in this neoliberal age in which we're living where there's not much leadership being shown by local government or state government or federal government because the magical market is meant to cure all of this stuff um, which it just evidently isn't doing um, sort of falls on these very underfunded and non-expert community groups to do the kind of vision work and, and forward planning that oh really seems to me like it should be the um, literally the job the job uh, title of, of government. Um, I agree. Yeah, so I've been trying to follow got, this yeah. story for a few years and I've been around interviewing everyone I could who I could think of and I can't see any plan emerging and just this year Alinta in South Australia, it's a power, two power stations they closed and there was no plan for the workers <clears> there and for the coal mine nearby at um, so you know the, the, it was not orderly it was, wasn't part of a national plan and I just well, I don't want to despair because I think we're at the end of the age of coal, but we're also at the end of the age of neoliberalism. Surely, you know, this is loosening up. This is starting to, the cracks are showing. I, I, I think so. I mean, you know, I think that one and only good thing we can say about Donald Trump is it's a sign that people are a bit sick of neoliberalism. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's, he's going off about, the, you know, no um, trans-Pacific trade partnership and all this kind of stuff. And that, that message is getting cut through. So if it's the end of the age of neoliberalism in the Republican Party, you know, the dominoes are stacked to fall. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really interesting situation in the Latrobe Valley, Vivian, because obviously um, the, the really big job loss down there occurred in the early 90s when the um, SEC, so the State Electricity Corporation, it was privatised, it was streamlined and, and, and sold off in the 90s. And thousands of jobs lost. I think about um, 10,000 direct jobs were lost, but then the sort of uh, cascading effect of that in terms of jobs around the community was, was more in the order of forty or 50,000 jobs. Mm. So, so almost overnight, really, the Trobe Valley went from being, uh, you know, quite um, stable and, and low unemployment area to one of the, the most unemployed regions of Victoria. And I think one of the really difficult things transition-wise is that um, people are still really... Um, scarred and traumatised from that experience and so in the Latrobe Valley if, if, they, if people hear um, environmental groups talking about closing Hazelwood or even replacing Hazelwood they just get their back up and I think yeah. they basically feel like it's the last option left in town you know the power station employs a hundred people or a thousand people I think directly and indirectly and it brings in a hundred million dollars a year in wages and they just they're not willing to uh, accept or, or encourage letting go of that no matter what. Um, you know, there, there are some people who are deeply in denial about climate change, and I think that's very much a contextual thing because they are living in the Coal Valley. But then even the people who are aware that it is a serious and urgent, you know, emergency issue, they still want a few more years to work it out, you know. Um, so we've got these two narratives butting heads, right? We've got, we've got the Greens saying, and rightly so, I think, we need to act now, Hazel, we need to close tomorrow and that's correct and then we've got people in the Trove Valley saying yes it needs to close but we need to wait a few years and sort out what's going to happen economically that's so, also correct it's a well, classic wicked problem what are the unions saying um that's a good question do you know not 
Not as much as they might. I think. I think being um, in the so the CFMEU is the big um, union for the Trove Valley because that's um, mining. They're sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place a bit, trying to walk a fine line because they're trying to hold on to jobs um, for the workers and hold on to conditions, but they also know that the writing's on the wall. Um, I think the last I, I talked to someone who lost a job. Last week, a bunch of um, emergency service workers in Loyang and Hazelwood got laid off very unceremoniously, um, and they've obviously been talking to the union about it. And the union was telling them that uh, it sounds like four out of eight of Hazelwood's turbines are probably going to be closed by Christmas, or the, that process will begin. So I think the unions know that the writing's on the wall, um, but they're just trying to continue, I think, to um, get good conditions for the workers while the jobs are there. Um, mm-hmm. The unions aren't in a position to sort of create the new industries or the new economies. They're just sort of, you know, holding on mm-hmm. to this, um, to this um, you know, dying industry, really. Mm-hmm. Well, um, later, we, in, in a few weeks' time, we're going to play um, an item from that um, seat in Melbourne. We had a, a rally against how to close down Hazelwood, and you gave a speech there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think the, the, the tension there that you said between city greenies being leading this mm-hmm. and then the people who are suffering the consequences, mm. uh, it has to be resolved. That has to be done. I think the Greens, the people who are there, Adam Band and Ellen Sandell, I know they go down there to the valley to sort of try yeah. and enter into a dialogue. And it, I, I just really wish there could be some national transition plan. Um, you know, especially I've just been reading 100%. about ca- the tar sands in Canada. You know, those people, 92,000 mm. people were evacuated from that town when the tar, tar sands caught on fire from the uh, wildfire. But, you know, they just, it really is insane. Nine billion dollars uh, clean up, uh, uh, but uh, the 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 need for an international or a national plan is really important. Mm. I think we we'll have to come back to you, Tom, when when we've yes. got a bit more of an idea of this, because neither of us know. And as you said, the unions don't seem to be leading on it, and the green no, solutions aren't really that people, welcome. That's right. But the people to watch, I think, are, are Voices of the Valley, really. And you can yes. go to their Facebook page, which right. is Voices of the Valley, and they're doing some really interesting stuff. And All they. Right they are aware that um, old energy is out and that new energy is in. So it's it's exciting times. Fantastic. All right. Thank you, Tom. So listeners, go to Tom Doig's book, The Coal Face, and go to Voices of the Valley Facebook. And that's all for tonight's show. We're going to go out with a song that I heard about Don't Leave Them Behind. Thank you to the uh, panel, Andy on the panel, and uh, behind the scenes, Teddy and Roger and Jody. And stay tuned for Albert Park after this song. Some of us that's gonna be 